About eight years ago, there was a movie that came out, uh, 127 Hours. Some of us know about it, others don't. It's about a man that, it's based on a true story, it's about a man that went hiking in Utah, um, and while he was hiking, he happened to fall into a ravine, and his arm got stuck between a rock and a hard place. And so, and so to survive, he had to take a two-inch pocket knife out and cut his arm off in order to get out of there and live. Now, if you and I watch this movie, I think the thing that we're going to think is, um, I'm not going to do that. And even if I do something dangerous, I'm either going to make sure someone knows where I am, or if I'm going to do something dangerous, I'm going to make sure that someone's with me. Now, there was a man named Amos Richards, and what went through his mind is, this is exactly what I'm going to do, what this man in 127 hours did. So he decides to go on his own to Utah and hike in the exact same place this guy hiked, and guess what happened to him? He falls through a ravine. And when he falls through a ravine, his shoulder gets dislocated, his leg breaks, and he has no way out except to crawl for four days. What you and I thought would make perfect sense from this movie, this guy missed the point completely. He did the exact opposite. And now the question is, do we ever miss the point when we have to be understanding what Jesus has done? Now, Jesus calls the disciples in Mark chapter 1, verse 1 to 20. I, I hope you remember uh, from a few months ago, from a, I guess a few months ago, um, how he calls the disciples and he commissions them and he takes them on this journey to follow him as he does the proclam proclamation of the gospel. Mark writes this gospel to say, hey, reader, if you trust in this Jesus, you too have been called on this journey. And the question is, as you and I are disciples of Jesus, do we get what Jesus is actually doing? Or have we missed the point completely? What I want us to do is turn our Bibles to Mark chapter 1, verse 21 to 45. And think about this. If we don't get the point of what Jesus is doing, can we be in danger of doing the exact opposite of what he's trying to tell us? Can we be not fulfilling the mission that he set out to do? In this passage, I want to cover three things. The first is what his program was, what the Lord's program was. The second is what a negative reaction to that program was. And third, what a positive reaction, a model that we should follow is, and lastly, an application. So the program of the Lord, a negative reaction, a positive reaction, and then an application for us. Verse 21, And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. They. They refers to the passage above, which is Peter, Andrew, James, and John. Jesus had just called them to be fishers of men. And so he takes them as they go on this journey and they go into Capernaum, and Mark says they enter a synagogue. What was the program of Jesus? In the first 20 verses, it says Jesus' program was to declare the gospel, which is the kingdom of God. 
So it says he entered the synagogue and was teaching. He was obviously teaching the gospel, which is the kingdom of God. What happens? The people look at him and they say, wow, this guy is not like the scribes. Because the scribes teach, but when Jesus teaches, he has authority. So already you see some kind of attention building up. Jesus versus the scribes. Okay, and he's on their turf. Much more, something else is happening. There's a man with an unclean spirit, verse 23. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. Note the word unclean. There was a man with an unclean spirit. Jesus isn't just having antagonism with physical entities who are the scribes, and we know that they're the bad guys of the story later on. But there's a spiritual pushback. An unclean spirit declares who Jesus is and says, I don't want to have anything to do with you. Now, if I was one of the disciples and I had just joined this man, he had said, follow me, I will make you fishers of men. What am I thinking? Well, fishing wasn't too bad. There were a lot of quiet nights. Sometimes I didn't really catch much fish. But we got to hang out on the boat. And it was hard work, yes, but we got to hang out. And we know fishing. And if this is anything like fishing, we can do it. But here they are as fishers of men, and demons are pushing back. Mark seems to be saying, warning, warning, warning. Following Jesus is not what you thought it was. It's not this walk in the park that looked like fishing for fish. There seems to be physical and spiritual pushback against this program. And what was the program? Declaring the gospel so that God's kingdom would be expanded and established as people set their faith and trust on Jesus and what he had to do. What Jesus says is he rebukes him and says, be silent, come out. You see the word rebuke and what the spirit does? Crying. There's a crying and a rebuke, a crying and a rebuke. Jesus is clashing, not just in the physical, but in the spiritual, as he pushes the boundaries of God's kingdom and establishes it. Note that when the unclean spirit leaves him, the man would have become, if unclean leaves, the man becomes clean. The man becomes clean. So Jesus has no problem doing this, pushing away the unclean spirit as he proclaims the gospel. And we see that the disciples have to now be thinking, hmm, what did we really sign up for? That's what we think that they should be thinking, just like we thought that anyone who watches the movie should avoid hiking in Utah. But instead, what happens is the people's reaction is that his fame spreads everywhere and throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. Instead of being scared off because this is a, a spiritual a warfare and battle, people are like, wow, Jesus, he's famous. Why do you think they said he's famous? Because he can take demons away from people and have authority that the scribes don't have. So we see Jesus' program and the pushback that he's getting both from the spiritual and from the physical realm. How do people respond to him? Let's look at the next verse, verse 29. And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. So the same guys are now following him from the synagogue to 
the house of Simon and Andrew. How do Simon and Andrew now think about what just happened? Did they say, wow, this is scary? No, 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 no. They decide to say, wow, Jesus hmm, was able to cast a demon out. Let's see what else he can do. So they say, hey, Jesus, Peter's mother-in-law, she's not well. Look at this. And it says, now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. And so they look at Jesus, they're like, I wonder if Jesus can do something with disease. And it says, and he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. What happens next? That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. They're like, okay, so we know that he can do demon exorcisms. We know that he can see, heal the sick. Let's see how much he can do. This, this is the gift that keeps on giving, right? So let's tell everyone and bring all the demon-possessed and all the sick, and let's just get Jesus to start healing all of them. The disciples' response and the crowd's response to Jesus is cosmic vending machine. Cha-ching, 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 right? We see that we can be famous over here. Something good is going to happen. Now, they're not, they're not, you know, trying to keep this all for themselves. What they're trying to do is they're trying to share this with everyone else. But how do they see Jesus? Jesus is the person who can give us and give us and give us without end. It says, and, he, and the whole city was gathered together at the door. This is verse 33. And the whole city was gathered at the door, and he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. Jesus does not stop, even though their intentions are not the best. He continues to heal. He continues to cast out demons until the end of the day. But he says he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. What happens the next day? And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went to a desolate place, and there he prayed. Jesus is still on his mission. And his mission is, I need to expand the Father's kingdom and preach the gospel. And so he departs to pray as part of his mission. But what do the disciples do? It says, and Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, what? Everyone is looking for you. <laughs> Jesus, the show's not over yet. I know you took rest last night. Let's get back to business. The response of the disciples, they still don't get what Jesus is doing. Jesus is this cosmic vending machine for them. I want us to skip and go down to verse 40. What happens next when they go to a different town? And a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Remember the unclean spirit in the first passage? And now here's a man with an unclean illness. And this illness is leprosy. Jesus moved with pity. It says, moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. Does Jesus heal him? Yes, the Lord Jesus heals him. And immediately, the leprosy left him and he was made clean. In the first story, the demon, the Greek word is ek erchomai, he departed from him. And in this it says, the leprosy, ap erchomai, Mark is linking the two and he's saying, when Jesus was uh, confronted with uncleanness, he pushed uncleanness away. 
not because uncleanness was his main agenda, but because the establishment of God's kingdom, which is holiness, was his agenda. And he's pushing that, he's pushing uncleanness away. And then Jesus again sternly tells him, he told the demon, be quiet. And he told the demon possessed and the sick that he healed, be quiet. And he tells them, and he said to them, verse 44, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded. And the ESV says, for a proof to them, but it can be rendered for a proof against them. So if you look at Mark 6, 11, and Mark 13, verse 9, the same phrase is translated for proof against them. So in the beginning, there's antagonism between Jesus and the scribes, and Jesus and the demonic forces. And in the last passage, we see Jesus and uncleanness, and Jesus and the priests. Jesus' agenda to establish God's kingdom is pushed back with antagonism and tension on two fronts, physical and non-physical. But what happened? Verse 45, but he went out and began to talk freely about it. The word talk is the verb caruso, which means to preach. I want you to just keep that in your mind. He went and he went to talk freely about it. But what happened? When this leper whom Jesus healed and Jesus commanded not to tell anyone, decided to preach about Jesus, what does it say? Jesus could no longer openly enter a town but was in desolate places. It hindered the ministry of Jesus because these people didn't see Jesus as the one who comes to establish God's kingdom. He saw Jesus as the cosmic vending machine, the one that can take care of our needs. I wonder how many of us see Jesus that way today. Did we come to Jesus because he's a good luck charm? Did we come to the Lord Jesus because he's our passport to heaven? Do we worship him and do we follow him because he can provide food for me and he can heal my diseases? The passage tells us, yes, the Lord is able to do that. But the question is, is that his agenda? The agenda of the Lord is to establish his kingdom because when his kingdom is established, when the Lord Jesus' kingdom is established, then sickness will be no more. Then hunger will be no more. Then uncleanness will be no more. And God's holiness and his life will rule. God's, Jesus' agenda, the Lord Jesus' agenda was, I need to establish the kingdom. The people's response and the disciples' response is, forget that. Cha-ching, 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 cha-ching. Give, 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 give. I want to take from you, I want to take from you, I want to take from you, I want to take from you. But we see a positive response, and I want to draw your attention now to a few things. First, what does Jesus, what does Jesus rebuke, not rebuke them, but actually uh, repudiate, or what does he do when he says something, when, when Simon was saying everyone was looking for you? Look at verse 38. Jesus tells Simon, let us go to the next towns that I may... Caruso there, that I may preach there. For that is why I came out. The Lord Jesus says, my agenda, my message, my preaching is not for you to be healed and for you to have your demons taken away and for your your earthly temporal problems to be solved. Yes, that comes. I will give that to you. But my agenda is 
the gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel of God, the gospel of the kingdom. And he tells Peter, Peter, I didn't come for all these people to be healed and for the demons to go. Doesn't he say that? But yet, in preaching the gospel, Jesus gives and gives and gives and gives. Let's go to verse 30 and 31. Very interestingly, in between the story of a man that was healed and another man that was healed, there is sandwiched in the middle the story of a woman that was healed. Now, all the women in Mark that Jesus encounters happens to be the right model to follow. And we'll see that later on in Mark when we read it. The disciples don't seem to get the point. But the women seem to understand what Jesus is all about. It says, Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. Serve is a verb that is used only one other time, and that's in chapter 15, with regards to humans, that is. And it's the women who served Jesus that followed him during his passion. Jesus also says something else in Mark chapter 10. He says, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. There's one person who seems to get it, and it's this unnamed lady the mother-in-law of Peter. She responded to Jesus by beginning to serve him. There's only one person who approached Jesus and said, Lord, take. Everyone else came to Jesus and said, give, 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 give. Let be my vending machine. But this one lady in these two verses said, Lord, here, take. Lord, here, take. Lord, here, take the right response to what Jesus had done. The agenda of Jesus was, I need to establish God's kingdom. And how did he establish it? Tirelessly from the morning until evening and the next day, he served people and he served people and he served people and he served people. But nobody seemed to understand that that is how they should engage in their discipleship walk. But this one lady, the mother-in-law of Peter, she got it. And she served and served and served. It says, and she began serving. Do you see that? It doesn't say she served. It says she began serving. And the line doesn't end, according to Mark and the way he writes. Now the question is, if we know that we've been called to follow Jesus, if we know that the agenda of Jesus is to establish God's kingdom, and not necessarily meet our temporal needs. If the wrong response to the gospel and following Jesus is, give me, give me, give me, give me, give me, and the right response is, Lord, take, take, take from me. What are we going to do? Last evening, I think this church had a fabulous demonstration of that. Some of you gave your energy your bodies, your money. Some of you took time off to actually do this. And I would, rec- I would commend you for that. Good job. But serving the Lord and serving the Lord is not just a one-time event. Serving the Lord is an attitude that the disciple should have along the way. We saw from verse 1 to verse 20 
that the disciple can expect suffering and antagonism when they become those that follow Christ. That's what they can expect from the world. But what the disciple is supposed to give to the world is selfless service as they expand God's kingdom. So here's what I'm going to do this week. What I've done is, I have my phone over there, but what I've done is I've set an alarm for 7 o'clock. Now, to most of you, you're going to think, so what? The last two weeks, last few weeks, actually, I've been having issues with my eye, so I do things much slower. That's one thing. The second thing that happens, it so happens to be my exam week and my assignment week. So time is precious for me. What I've decided to do is at 7 o'clock for the next week, I am going to set an alarm and say, studies, you're going to stop. I'm going to serve my wife and my children until everything at home is needed to be done. That is how, for the next seven days, I plan to inculcate a behavior of self-serving. That's something you could do, or you could do something else. But I would encourage you, for this week, for the next seven days, find an opportunity to selflessly serve and do it. And this attitude, if carried on, is the attitude that Christ wants us to have as we follow through. Now, the rest of Mark is going to flesh out what selfless serving is, and it's also going to show us what suffering is later on. But for today, the agenda of Jesus is, I need to establish God's kingdom so that by preaching the gospel so that people trust in the Lord. Jesus says, asking him to give, 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 give is not the right response. Mark tells us that the attitude of Mary to give to the Lord, give to the Lord, give to the Lord, is the right response. So my dear brothers and sisters, this week, and I would encourage you to be people that give to the Lord and have, an, have a, a mentality of selfless giving, of sacrificial giving, as we follow Jesus. May God bless you.